On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number nine of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, where you're from an expat just off Abbey Road here in London who misses his record collection so much more dearly than his friends and family. Except one of his best friends is with him here, Action Jackson, and today the two of them are going to discuss the 1983 Def Leppard classic, Pyromania. If you grew up in America in the early 80s, 1983, 1984, and you had cable television, you were the MTV generation. And the three videos photograph, Foolin' and Rock of Ages off this record were staples on MTV. You couldn't get away from them. And they shaped our attitudes about rock videos, about hard rock. Going forward, a year before 1984 by Van Halen comes out, before Quiet Riot hits number one with the first ever heavy metal record, Metal Health, in America. This album really changed the game and really put Def Leppard into the stratosphere. And not just here in America, but really all over the world. That was the power of MTV. So this month, January 2021, is the 30th anniversary of the passing of the great Steve Clark, lead guitar player, who had been with Def Leppard since the beginning uh, and kind of a tragic figure. And this is the 38th anniversary of the release of this classic. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get with action. Let's get into Def Leppard's Pyromania here on The Wolf. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's Factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. 
Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. And before we get into the Def Leppard, man, did you see where Lindsey Buckingham just sold his catalog, not to be one up by Stevie Nicks? Oh, no, I did not. He just sold it? He just wow. sold his whole catalog, his entire 100% of his back catalog, including everything he wrote with Fleetwood Mac, and then 50% of anything that comes out in the future, which couldn't, which probably won't be much, especially since he's not going to be in Fleetwood Mac anymore. He's basically been right. kicked out. Well, you, okay, so you figure he's what for seventy one years old. I mean, again, like what's the? I guess you just want to kind of kick back and relax now. Yeah, and if he's seriously out of Fleetwood Mac, then he doesn't get that touring money anymore. He gets royalties from what they sing in concert because he wrote all those songs or most of them. But yeah, he's ready to kick back, I'm sure. But he should be fairly wealthy as it is. I don't know. It's always easy for me to say, shouldn't they have enough money? I know Bob Dylan has enough money. But if he wants to sell his royalties for reported three hundred or so million dollars, God bless him. Let him do it. And then I guess it really comes down to what what would those deals look like back in the day? I mean, you think, oh, he's got he must have hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, you'd hope, but you never really know. You never know. Uh, so yes, good call by you, Action, on let's do Pyromania because this week marks the 30th anniversary of Steve Clark's death. And it's also, this month, is the 38th anniversary of the release of Pyromania, which is what really set Def Leppard into the stratosphere, uh, not just in America, but but worldwide. Yeah, this was definitely the this was definitely my first foray into hard rock. And I had a friend, I think his name was Pete. Mm-hmm. Hey, Pete, if you're out there. <laughs> He had a little tiny jam box and we had one speaker on it. And we used to play this tape until it just fell apart. I don't know why they let us do that in the parking lot. Uh, not parking lot, but the playground of elementary school. But we did, and it was awesome. They let you go out like during recess and, and bring the, the one speaker boom box? Yes. I don't know why. And, and we, we jammed out to Rock of Ages. But what I really love about this record is, to me, it keeps getting better. Because when you were you first listened to it, I mean, okay, you know, you've heard you've heard Rock of Ages, you've heard Photograph, you've heard Fooling, all great songs. But then you really start to get into it, and you've got you know, Too Late for Love, you've got Coming Under Fire, you've got Rock Rock Till You. I mean, it just like I said, it keeps getting better, and it's just a really solid record. It is amazing. I remember us listening to it in college. At that point, it was a classic, right? It was already almost ten years old. Correct. Uh, and Hysteria had come out uh, and was a huge success uh, after some bad stuff happened in the Leopard camp. And then we had actually seen them on the Adrenalize tour in the round in the arena, right? Correct. And they started with Stage Fright that night, and that was that was cool. Which, in my opinion, they should always start with, right? I think so. I mean, it's it's a great way to, to open the show. You have the crowd cheering at the beginning. They have the big curtain over the stage, which is something they've I think they've continued to do, is they still have this big curtain over them, or in it front of them. Drops. You know, and then they, they play a little bit of something. They start that off, and yeah. then at some point they drop the curtain, and everybody goes nuts in the middle of song one. But, uh, you know, you say, I said, welcome to my show, just as you and me, babe. We got the whole damn night to go, boom, boom, and then you drop it, and then everybody goes nuts, man. It's, it's like hello for Oasis. They should open every single show that way. They should absolutely open every show with stage fright. But... I understand you have to mix things up as an artist, and if you've seen Def Leppard 50 times, maybe you want to see him open with something different. I really like this. I mean, not to take anything away from Hysteria, but I think this is I think this is a better hard rock record. I think it's I think the riffs are better. It's a little I know this was a Mutt Lang deal, but it just seems like that like Hysteria was was kind of the apex of being produced out the wazoo. 
and this was a little a little less produced. The riffs were a little more straight ahead, mm-hmm. and so I just I like this better. And and it has a special place in my heart for the the jam, the one speaker jam box, <laughs> for the sentimentality <laughs> of the days in the playground. I totally understand that. Well, of course, for me, and we've talked about this before as children of the MTV generation. You couldn't go an hour without seeing a Def Leppard video in 1983. I mean, Photograph was on all the time. And it's a great song. It's still a great song to this day. And I bet they have not not played it live in one show they've done in the last 38 years. But Foolin' was a, was a big video for them. And Rock of Ages with the odd intro from Mutt Lang. Gluten, uh, gluten, glouten, whatever that is. <laughs> Apparently, but you know what it is. Yes, you I know, know you know exactly is. what it is when you hear it, right? Yeah. And apparently, that means something in German. I don't know, but the story was that instead of the old, here we go, guys, one, two, three, four, and they hit it. Eventually, to mix it up, he would, you know, do it in German or he'd do it in Spanish, and then he'd do uh, Hansel, Gretel, Britzel, you know, whatever. He'd do four weird things in a row, and that was one of them, and they decided to put that on the record. And it's kind of become a. When you become. A, when a record is a hit and you've got something odd like that on there, then it becomes a thing of legend, you know? The, who did that? The Offspring had a song where they sampled that beginning part to it and then went into a totally different song. And it throws you off every time because you're oh, uh, oh, wait, this is the other one. But yeah, it's, 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 it's like it's taken on its own persona, that countdown. Yeah, and it's it, it, back to the MTV deals. Yeah, I mean, like they, they, you didn't. They were British. They were kind of, you know, oh, hey, what's going on here? They had the you, like Joe Elliott had the cool Union Jack uh, T-shirt on, and you just thought they just looked cool. They sounded cool, and yeah, they were on every third video, maybe at that point in time. All the time they were on, <laughs> and it happened again during Hysteria. Once Hysteria came out, and then Pour Some Sugar on Me came out, and it was huge. I remember Armageddon it. For three straight weeks, I would stay up to watch something at 11. And between 10.30 and 11 every day for these three weeks, I would watch MTV saying they're going to play Armageddon It by Def Leppard. And every single day for those, at least during the week, uh, between 10.30 and 11, before they cut to something else, they played that song because it was just so popular. It was another one of their, it wasn't a concept video. It was a video of them on stage doing the song, cutting to girls in the audience, singing it back to them. By the way, anytime anyone had a solo time on stage, like when Rick Allen would do his drum solo, and on, a, on, on Adrenalize it was amazing. The kit would move back and forth. It was, it was on a three, there were three tiers, if I'm not mistaken, to the stage. It was on the top tier, and it would move back and forth on the top tier. And then when it got into the center... On the circle, it would be pushed up in the air about yeah. 30 feet, and then all sorts of lights came out. And it'd spin around. It'd yeah, spin around. I think Savage same. may have stood behind him up there. I'm like, that's amazing. That's really cool. But anytime anyone had a solo, all the other guys were understage with one or two or three of those female fans. Every single time. <laughs> well, and, and I, that's the kind of the beauty part of Def Leppard was they were hard enough for guys like us to say, oh, yeah, we can listen to that. But then they weren't so hard that it was just dudes at the show. There were lots of very, very attractive women at those shows and probably still are. Yeah, even though they're on sometimes the state fair circuit these days, uh, they do get to do headline and co-headline tours. But, yeah, absolutely, there's a lot of girls at their shows, which is a big departure from some of the hard rock shows that, that we've certainly been to over the years. But you bring up Mutt Lang. I mean, Mutt Lang... Lang, for us, really made his name with ACDC, right? You know, the end of the Bon Scott days. And he helped Def Leppard with High and Dry, which produced their big hit, Bringing on the Heartbreak, which I love. is probably still my favorite Def Leppard song to this day. And he apparently just worked, worked him over. That's what Mutt does. Like, do it again, do it again, do it again. Give me one more, give me one more. To the point where like, I don't want to do it anymore. But it's worth it because Mutt obviously knows what he's doing. Superstar producer. And then this album comes out. They get David Mallett to do the videos. Photograph video. And David Mallett, I was just looking him up. His record on videos, Jackson, will blow your mind. I'm ready. My mind is ready to be blown up. Let's go. Yeah, and he worked with some greats. Peter Gabriel, David Bowie did the Let's Dance. He did She's So Cold and Emotional Rescue. 
by the Rolling Stones, Queen and David Bowie together for Under Pressure, lots of Queen ones, did Run to the Hills by Maiden, did a bunch of Billy Idols like White Wedding, did Eyes Without a Face, I think, did Distant Early Morning by Rush, um, which we loved, did Rock You by like a Hurricane by the Scorpions, ever heard of that one, worked with, did Tears Are Falling by Kiss, well, Kiss was really amping it up. Like, let's get Desmond Child to write this and David Mallett to do the video. It doesn't even matter if, you know, we're in the video or what we wear. Did a lot of ACDC, you know, Who Made Who, Heat Seeker. Did Thunderstruck and Money Talks. More Queen. Yeah, and then the long-form videos were actually made a film or a movie or a cassette or VHS cassette. Asia in Asia. You knew we were going to squeeze Asia in here somehow, folks. <laughs> Did Serious Moonlight by David Bowie. Did Rush, Grace Under Pressure Live. Did a bunch of Tina Turners. David Bowie on Glass Spider. Madonna, Blonde Ambition. ACDC Live at Donington. U2 Zoo TV from Sydney. Pink Floyd Pulse. Stones Voodoo Lounge. U2 Pop Mart. David Gilmour Live. David Gilmour, remember that night. Genesis went in Rome. It's unbelievable what he's done for rock and roll music videos over the years. So they get that out there. And the photograph one was great. With the images of Marilyn Monroe, it's like, all I've got is a photograph. I need more. Kind of a story of, of every young man who, like, yeah, I got a picture of her, but that's not what I need, you know. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that did, uh, going back to Mutt Lang real quick, he, he's a, either a love him or hate him kind of deal because mm -hmm. he, he is the taskmaster and he does overlay stuff. But, I mean, if you go back and look, like, I know it, at his track record, I know he did Heartbeat City by the Cars too, mm. which that was their, I think their biggest easily record they ever had. But again, I think a lot of Cars people were like, "Wow, what's all this? It's overproduced." But you know, however many million albums later. Well, I mean, who was Shania Twain before they started dating, and then Correct. all of a sudden he produces her records. You know, she had one that sold half a million, then he produces it, and then you know they all sold twenty five million or something like that. Then he leaves her, and she can't sell a record anymore. Hmm, wonder where all the talent was. <laughs> Hard to argue with success. Yeah, you know. Uh, so Mutt Lang is, is certainly the man there. And was so crucial to Def Leppard and their success that he actually got writing credits on all the songs on the album, which is a pretty big deal. Those writing credits and the royalties are pretty highly coveted by the people who write the lyrics and the chords. And I think it shows, too, the how how instrumental he was in actually putting everything together. Because like, you're right, most of these things that you go through, the producer's never going to be on the writing deal. But I think he was he was instrumental in that. And I think the there was one on Hysteria where he did the back and forth with Joe Elliott. It might have it been from Rocket where they do the backwards intro. I think that was him. And mm -hmm. so he did a lot of, yeah, he really pushed them into what they are today. Yeah, so definitely, definitely the person who, yeah, you could say he was, let's say, one, two, three, six member of the band. Mm -hmm. Well, what I also found interesting was Pete Willis, who was their original guitar player with Steve Clark, and was on the first two records on Through the Night and High and Dry, did get a songwriting credit, or a few, on the album, including Photograph. So he so must even, have been kicked out of the band before they finished recording, because it sounds like they had Phil Collin come in, and then he played all of his solos. He put all the solos on the album. So it's like they're trying to make it work with Pete. Pete wasn't working out. He said, okay, that's it. We got to move on. We have ambition. We can't wait for Pete. Let's get him out of here. We'll bring in Phil Collin, who's in a band called Girl, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Before he was in Def Leppard. And he came in and, and laid down all of his solo stuff. And it, although it must hurt like hell for you to be kicked out of your band, and then they go on to enormous worldwide success. But if you still got a cut of that enormous worldwide success, that might not be so bad. Yeah, because, and especially it's like, you know, you wrote some songs, but they were on the B side or whatever. No, I mean, he's credited with writing Photograph. He's ready. He's credited with writing Too Late for Love. Great song. Uh, Billy's Got a Gun. Not my favorite. Coming Under Fire. So yeah, I mean, he, he was obviously very involved with the production of this deal and you know you talk about somebody who stepped in a big pile of it phil collin coming in yeah yeah sure sounds great i'll join the band and boom boom and from what phil says when they started the tour like in new york and they're playing at theaters or stuff like that smaller gigs or maybe they're opening for arena acts you know and by the time they finished it 
They're at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego where the Padres and the artist formerly known as the San Diego Chargers played. It was unbelievable. So that's how big it got for them. It was huge. It also started to put the pressure on the late, great Steve Clark. Steve apparently was not a real confident man. I don't think his father instilled a lot of confidence in him. And he tried to go out there and do his best, but he just never really felt comfortable in his own shoes. And after Pyromania is a huge success, it's like, oh, we had three or four singles. Oh, you guys heard what Mutt said. Now the next one's going to have four or five. Oh, how are we going to beat this? We'll never do it. And then, of course, Hysteria, it takes a while to get there. But Hysteria does have four or five. I think it was six or seven singles in America. It was unbelievable. They toured on that thing for more than two years. That put even more pressure. It's like, oh, my God. Now we're even bigger? Now we sold even more records? Now we're selling out even more concerts? We got to go on the road for another six months? And it really drove him to really just not taking very good care of himself and, and to expire 30 years ago this week as we're recording this. Which is too bad because when you, when you I mean, I, obviously I never knew him personally, but when you look at it, it's kind of like, what else did you want out of life? I mean, he's a good looking dude, <laughs> could play the guitar, had wrote great songs. I'm looking at this. I mean, he's, he's credited on pretty much every single song on Pyromania. So he wasn't just the guy who came in to play. I mean, he was an integral part of this band from the beginning. And yeah, unfortunately, just a guy who couldn't handle it or, or could not, could not see the potential that he had. And that's really sad because Vivian Campbell's fantastic came in and did a great job, mm-hmm. but it just, to me, it was just never the same without Steve Clark. Never the same. You, you, anyone can play a great riff, but he played with a lot of heart. You know, he, he played from his gut. He played from his heart, and, and he, he made the difference in that band. Phil Collins a brilliant guitar player. He really is. But he couldn't quite do what Steve did or what Steve brought. And I did not know, in looking at the back of my, of my record here, his name was Steeman. Steve Steeman Clark. He's the only one with a nickname on the backpack here of uh, of Pyromania. Oh, okay. So, so then on on Hysteria, that's when everybody had like twenty eight different nicknames. But it, I, I heard an interview with Phil Collins talking about doing Adrenalize because apparently Steve Clark had done a bunch of stuff for that record, mm-hmm. and Collins said it was interesting because he had he did all the guitar parts. Vivian Campbell's not on that record, right? And doing the playing his parts and then playing Steve's parts, but like trying to play them like Steve would play them. Mm-hmm. And I think he had a real Jimmy Page like, you know, I'm just gonna I'm great, but it's sloppy and it's you, you don't you never really knew what he was gonna do. Where I think Colin is more of the like laser focused technician. That's right. And he's it's gonna be perfect every single time he plays it. Clark's like, hey, you know, this sounds pretty good. Let's see where this takes us. And I also think it freaked him out one day, Phil Collin. Like, I'm trying to play like my dead friend here. And eventually it was too much for him one afternoon. He said, that's it. I'm out of here. He went to the pub uh, and got after it and said, this is this is too much. And I can understand that. Like, your best friend drinks himself to death. Now you have to go play his parts like him? Ugh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. And then to, to, to have the whole time passes, but then to go back into the studio, kind of that would just bring it all rushing back to you. Like he should really be here. I, you know, can we even do this without him? Should we do it without him? I know there was a whole thing about when Rick Allen lost his arm, mm-hmm. you know, it was the same thing. Should we even go on? What's going And he got over that to come back and play. But yeah, the same thing. I, it's just, you know, you think you're ready. And then now I'm not. Now I'm not. So Pete Willis had to go in the middle of recording this, I guess, or in writing the songs and getting it ready. He was actually invited to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He he was inducted with the rest of the band. I guess his contributions were worthy enough to be included. He did not go. I think he said that he was needed to be home for the birth of his grandchild. And everyone understands that. Honestly, I think it's because I saw him a documentary, like a VH1 behind the music maybe 25 years ago, and he didn't look like a rock star then. And he was a lot shorter than the other guys, and he'd been living a straight life now for about 15 or however many years, was out of the business. And then maybe 25 years after that, and by the way, the guys in Def Leppard all still look like rock stars. They all look like they still live the life. They're all very wealthy. Uh, they look good, and I, my, I, I would understand if you didn't want to stand next to those guys 
um, after all these years and just get your little trophy in the mail. You'd be like, is, is that their accountant or who is that? <laughs> right. No, man, I was in the band. Mm -hmm. I didn't see him in the photograph video. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember him from the Let It Go video. Okay, so just so you know, Phil Collin is 63 years old, and I believe he still performs his solo without a shirt on. So, yeah, kind of hard to just, you know, get up out of the old lazy boy, like, oh, um, I think I got a pair of pants that fits. Let me go down to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right. Yeah, and he's like a karate master, too, isn't he? I mean, he's like a certified like bad that. dude. Like, I, would, I wouldn't mess with him. Don't mess with him. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a nice guy, but don't say a wrong word to him. Just giving you some advice. But you're right. All those guys still still look like if you if you didn't know who it was and you saw him at an airport or something, you'd say, what's up with that guy? Yeah, he's like a rock, a rock star. star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you start with rock, rock till you drop. And I just listened to this again this morning. You know, that's a great rock and roll anthem. You say, well, it's pretty straight ahead. Anyone could have written rock, rock till you drop. I'm like, nah, listen to the riffs, man. It's it's so much fun. It's a great way to open the album, though. They still, I still say number three, Stage Fright might have been a good way to do it. But I understand not starting with Stage Fright because you do have the audience at the beginning and some might take a listen and say, oh no, did I buy a live album? What's wrong with this? Did I yeah. do this wrong? And then, of course, you know, from, from number one, you go right into Photograph, which uh, I, th I think that's got to be their biggest, uh, the, well, it was the biggest hit off of this record. It's I still got to be their biggest, doesn't it? I think so. Well, yeah. I, there's, if you want to make an argument to pour some sugar on me, not that that's my favorite, but what it did for the band, maybe. But but Photograph is the best, and the video was great. And something I've been, you know, a sad story apparently, Gary, is that you know they had a Marilyn Monroe lookalike in the video. Um, the girl, six, five or six years later, ended up committing suicide, which is too bad. But if you remember in the video, there's a guy choking her out at the a guy in a trench coat who's like basically oh, yeah, murdering yeah. her. And then you look up, you took a look at him, and it looks dead like Teddy Roosevelt, who was the president of the United States about 60 years before Jack Kennedy was the president of the United States. Of course, John F. or Jack Kennedy dated Marilyn Monroe on the sly, as maybe his brother did too. We don't have all the details. But of course, the big rumors that Marilyn was murdered because she was going to say something about the Kennedys or was a security risk or something like that. And I just wonder if that was, because I doubt Def Leppard had anything to do with it. And I can't find any information about it anywhere on the internet. Was that David Mallett, you know, giving a, yes, she giving was. a wink. Yeah, giving a little wink and a nod to, yeah, the, the president off Marilyn. So I'm not going to show you the president that did it. And of course, John F. Kennedy might not have done it. It was the CIA or the, the folks who killed him who did it. But, uh, you know, just a little wink and a nod there. Like, yeah, we know what you're up to over there, you, you bloody Yanks. Yeah, I don't know. I never understood it, is, is the point. Right, and, and, but it's that kind of goes to a whole other discussion of back when the MTV videos were like... In, quote unquote art form and yeah you'd have people you know put stuff in there like that instead of just being straight ahead dong girls on the beach uh yeah you could have things like that where it was i can imagine they probably if they figured that out they probably got a little bit of slack i mean a little bit of static for it but they were british so they they're away. fine they can do whatever they want they can do what they want and then so okay so we had photograph we had stage fright and then after that was too late for love that's a really cool riff to this day it's a little slower of a song, but I think, and so that's why I understand it. That probably never went on the singles uh, chart, but I, I love that song, and that's a really cool riff. I think it's awesome. And you're right, it, it is yeah. a little slower, and it does build a little bit, but it still doesn't really get to a gallop. It's still, yeah. it's still very just kind of chord heavy and, and, and blasts you a little more slowly, but I agree, Too Late for Love is an awesome song. It's a big part of what you would call side A of the cassette. Mm -hmm. And then you you finish side A with Die Hard the Hunter, right? Correct. And that's a that's a deep track. But again, it's just you just keep going and it just keeps oh, here's another great song. I agree. There's no clunkers on the first side with the huge photograph on there and some fan favorites. Can't beat side A of uh, of Pyromania. Hey, between side A and side B, want to give a shout out to the At Def Lep Pod podcast. Hope everything's well with you, brother. A great podcast to listen to if you want to know all about the in-depth little details of Def Leppard. You can check us out at ugly underscore werewolf 
on Twitter, or subscribe and download anywhere that you get your podcasts, or go to uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Get to side B, then you start with Foolin, which was another video, another big video. We saw that a lot in the United States. And it was a little bit, it was a little bit different than, than some of the others. Yeah, it was, it was a little heavier. It was the odd. Yeah, and it, yeah, it had the kind of the dark tones to it, and you know, about Lady Luck and, you know, never uh, smiles at me. And yeah, it was, it was cool. And so, again, as a kid, you're sitting there thinking, oh, what's, what's this all about? What's going on here? This is... Yeah, it, so you could listen to the music and you could watch the the accompanying video and have a multi sense ex, uh, experience where you were you were supposed to be doing your homework or whatever was supposed to be happening back then. Right. right. <laughs> and then and then right into right into the big one, Rock of Ages. And this is the big one, yeah, and, and uh, not maybe not as popular as Photograph, but. Rock of Ages is an anthem. It's got the odd opening that features our friend Mutt on there. And yes, amazing pop. And, and there's your three kind of hits, right? Photograph, Fool, and Rock of Ages, all with big videos and heavy rotation on MTV, all in heavy rotation on rock radio. I think Photograph got into the top 10 or top 15 or so on the U.S. pop charts, but it went to number one uh, on like the rock, mainstream rock charts. And it's been a big part of, of rock and roll ever since. After that... Coming under fire. It's another good song. Again, it's one of those ones where you didn't you didn't hear it from the beginning. You didn't hear it at the beginning because you just went through the singles, right? Mm-hmm. Then you bought the you bought the tape, you bought the CD, you start listening to the whole thing, and then you say, "Yeah, what? How did I miss this? This is great." It, but it's not a. It, again, it's not, I think a one that starts off a little slower. A little. It takes a little time to get you to get into, but once you do, it's it's real. It's another one. I think I think that could have been a single, but no one asked me. No one asked us, right? And three singles for a hard rock band off one album was pretty good back in the day. Correct. So and if we are going to take a trip down uh, pop culture references, it was pretty cool in Highlander when Victor Kruger quoted. He said, "It's better to burn out." Then fade away as he's walking out of the church. But was he quoting Def Leppard or was he quoting Neil Young? He was quoting Def Leppard as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, That's fair enough. But you know what? David Mallet did that video too, the, the Queen video for Who Wants to Live Forever from a certain nice. Highlander movie. He did do that. So yeah, that's how we that's called a segue, folks. It's how we bring it back together. And then, and then there's a song which is, I think, the reason that action shows for us to go over this album is action, not words. The ninth That's song on the record. Truer words were never <laughs> spoken. Again, it's it, as you get to the end of this, they are so action, not words, and Billy's got a gun are probably the two ones that are farthest away from the singles. But again, I, cover to cover, I'll, I'll listen to everything on here. Actually, Not Words, I think, is another cool one. Billy's Got a Gun is not my favorite. And then if you listen to it all the way to the end, it's kind of got this clunky thing at the end of it. It's kind of weird. It's like you just made this longer for no real reason. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like you're making it longer because you've got a cool solo or you've got, you want to whisper some cool words and you're just kind of making extra noise here. But Action Not Words is another killer one, and I would have loved to have seen it live back in the day. Billy's Got a Gun, just just not my favorite. Not a horrible song, but if if there's uh, if there's ten songs on the album and they had to make it nine, that would be the one that I would probably leave off. And it's probably the same for them. That's why it's the last one on there. Do you figure if you've got so you've got ten songs on here and you you like nine of the ten? I mean that's a that's a win. I mean you couldn't you really can't ask for anything more. I know there are some people that say I like whatever record every single song on. Okay, but that's few and far between. And yeah, I would I would tell you that. I mean, I'll listen to it because it's there. But yeah, if they if they wanted to have nine, that's the one they would cut. And what's interesting was too because now that this is such a big hit record, the record company said, "Okay, we need to do another remix and, and do a video for bringing on the heartache because that was that had been done with the previous guitarist Pete Willis." on the previous record and maybe they didn't do a video for it, but they're like, okay, well now that we've got all these hits on this album, let's, let's redo another hit. Kind of the way that they kind of re-released dream on for Aerosmith. That was off their first album, but the first album kind of clunked after they got 
a few hits down the road, somebody said, look, Dream On is a hit. We got to stick it back out there. And they did re-release it, and then it was a hit kind of the second time around. And so, bring on the heartache. They did do a remix of it, and you can hear it with keyboards and things like that. Yeah. And it's part of, which you should probably have, this is Def Leppard, the CD collection, volume one. And it wasn't. Uh-huh. it's not real expensive. And it gets you on through the night, through hysteria. And it throws in there, live at the LA Forum 1983, which is pretty cool because they're doing a lot of stuff from Pyromania, but you still get stuff like Rock Brigade and High and Dry, Let It Go, Wasted, and I guess they do Traveling Band featuring Brian May on guest guitar. I guess he came out there to to play with them, which is kind of cool. And then you also get, so you get the four records, the four first records, you get them live on the Pyromania tour, and then you also get the rarities, uh, which includes the Wasted and Hello America singles and the Bringing On the Heartbreak remix. And it's basically, it's singles and, and B-sides and, and things like that you couldn't get on the record. But I always wanted that. It was, And for years, I was trying to convince people there's two Bringing On the Heartbreaks. There's two. There's the normal one on the album. There's another one with all these keyboards on it. They're like, ah, I haven't heard that one. You must be crazy. I'm like, no, just like there's two Reapers. There's the one with the solo, and then there's the cheesy one like, we don't want to play a six-minute song. We just want the three-minute version or whatever. Let's take the solo out of Reaper and cut its nuts off. And, and, like, <laughs> and that makes it okay somehow. But I think part, the, part of the problem with that, not problem, but the issue with that Bringing On the Heartbreak is it's not it's close like you and i can tell it no problem but i mean if you have casual fan now it's like no it's the same thing no it's not listen it's got the keyboard part in it and i think there were a lot of people that got bent out of shape i know when we were in college a lot of people were bent out of shape because the the remix hadn't come out yet and they were like oh bring it on the heartbreak that's on pyromania no no it's not you have to buy high and dry to get that. Mm-hmm. That's why you buy the album. And so they get huge. They're going worldwide here. It's time to go ahead and make the follow-up. And then Rick Allen goes and wrecks his Corvette uh, and severs his arm. They, they put it back on. It almost took, but it didn't. And I think he actually almost lost his other arm, too. So the fact that he got to save one was, was kind of amazing. I think some of the other guys, obviously Steve was having issues with his poisons, and, and some of the other guys were... We're trying to push forward, but you think, you know, you have this huge 10 million copies in America. That's an enormous hit in any day. You don't want to wait till 1987 from 1983, from January 83. You don't want to wait till 1987 to put out your follow-up. But they kind of had to because they were waiting for Rick. And they said, okay, should we wait for him? All right, should we give him a chance to try to learn how to play with one arm? A lot of bands wouldn't have done that. So you got to give... The boys credit, and I'm sure they second-guessed themselves a few times, especially when maybe they went to his first, hey, guys, look at what I can do. And it was like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I always, I do give them a lot of credit for that because you're right. Most people would have just said, uh, sorry, dude, but one-armed drummer, we just can't have that. But he, I guess he had been in the band since he was like 17 or something. So like 15, maybe. With, he was a yeah, kid, you know, just, and, and that, I know that was what Joe Elliott said. He, there was one time where he was driving to the hospital saying, I've got to fire him. I've got to fire this guy. He's in the hospital. He, we've known him forever. Mm-hmm. And I think he got there and Rick was like, he, I think he just looked at him and he just said, I can do this. Just trust me. I can do this. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what the record contract looked like, but if they got their royalties after selling that many records and then doing that tour, they should have had enough money to take a couple years and, and, and be patient, but they couldn't wait forever. And then, Obviously, Hysteria sounds different. The drums are not quite the same. They're not bad, but but they're not the same. And those songs are a little slower, I would say, on the whole. Still good, still rock and rolls, and still can can build and have momentum and stuff like that. But it's not quite the same drumming, is it? No, and and it's. I think that's the other thing is you can't you can't expect them to play exactly the same. But I think the drumming. It's while it's not the same as Pyromania, it fits the songs that they put on that record mm-hmm. on Hysteria. And I don't know whether they did that purposely or it just kind of came together like that, but it all sounds pretty good. Like you said, we saw him in concert. He did a drum solo, and it was awesome. It was. I mean, it, you didn't sit there and say, oh, oh, this is not. I mean, it sounds really cool, and he's got a whole 
rig that he plays with his feet where they do some they do some of its drum programs mm-hmm. so he can hit one thing and play a couple of notes and I mean he's working it back there and I saw I saw an interview with them on Howard Stern maybe last year and they were talking he was just kind of going through the history of the band he asked him about his arm and then somebody when it was Phil said you know you've been without that arm way longer than you ever had it now. And it was kind of like that, hey, you know you're right. Mm-hmm. That's you didn't, you didn't think about that. Like he's been, it's been a long time and he's really overcome a lot because I think a lot of people would have just said, I'm, I'm giving up. I can't do this. I felt sorry for themselves or something like that. But mm-hmm. he just said, no, I've got to do this. This is what I do. That'd be awfully easy to do, to Correct. feel sorry for Correct. yourself. Say, I'm a drummer and now I only have one arm. And even if you become fantastic, with three out of your four limbs, every other drummer has four limbs. You're literally handicapped next to them. You're literally working with less than they have. Uh, but he's got the heart and the fire to do it. And I guess he had his boys to, to back him up, which makes a big difference. Right. And, and I think that that kind of proves that you can, you can be famous and you can make an impact in your own way. You don't have to play. You're like, okay, yeah, you'll never play as fast as somebody else. But you can play a really cool part and be unique and add to the sound of the band on your own. You know what I want to talk about that I don't think Def Leppard gets enough credit for, and probably a lot of rock bands, but but certainly not Def Leppard, is they are all good singers in that the harmonies, the backup harmonies throughout those songs are fantastic. And, and it really what enriches a lot of the flavor of those songs, even if it's just far away, far away, you know, that's a big deal. And if you think about, you know, the Beatles who sang in harmonies, you know, think of Crosby, Stills and Nash who sang in harmonies, but even people like Van Halen, because you've got Mikey and Eddie singing back up behind, you know, some of the harmonies and the choruses and stuff like that. But Rick Savage is always singing. He's always got his mic on. Rick Allen has his mic on. Phil Collins steps up to the mic. So they all sing together and it enriches the sound and and beefs it up. And I I think it makes it great. Harmonies in songs are a big deal. Well, I'd take it a step farther and actually say that harmony that you're talking about is the Def Leppard sound. Like you you hear that and you know this is Def Leppard. And and when they go, and it is really cool when it goes from, because I think, and because I've watched this a couple times and I think people can correct me if I'm wrong. So you got Joe Elliott, and then I think when they go two, it's Rick Savage, and then Phil Collin and Rick Allen come in. I think you're right. Rick Savage is singing a lot more than he gets credit for. Like he's maybe doubling Joe quite a bit, and mm-hmm. then they then they bring in more people. But yeah, that is the signature sound of Def Leppard, especially on the Hysteria record. Once they got into that, it was it was all harmonies all the time. Well, I think about Rocket, and then Armageddon, and oh, don't get it from me. I mean, all those songs. Pour some sugar on me. It's not just Joe, man. It's it's most of the band singing together. Uh, and if you can sing, even if you're not one of the primary musicians in the band, as far as primary songwriter, however you want to look at it, if you can sing back up well, you are a big contributor to the sound of that band. Right, and then I think that's part of the thing, too, where you know we were talking about before, Phil Collins kind of walked into this great deal, you know, having this record ready to go. But you're, I think he brings so much to the band that he wasn't just, it couldn't have just been anybody. They needed him specifically. Seems like it. It seems like it just fits so well. And for that matter, it seemed like Vivian Campbell's fit in the band really well. Now, I have to admit that I've not bought one Def Leppard album that has Vivian Campbell on it. I have everything that he's not on, but I don't have anything that he's on. And Vivian Campbell kind of worked his way up. He played with Ronnie James Dio for some of his first solo albums. He played in Thin Lizzy. For a while in their latter days. Well, he got Campbell got picked up for White Snake in that you know year or two before in between before they did Slip of the Tongue. I see. Vivian Campbell's also in White Snake. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was kind of like the the Rudy Sarzo, Forrest Gump. You know, it's like you watch those the eighty. They're like, oh, there he is again. There he is. Yeah, I was in the band for you know six months in nineteen eighty six, enough to make a couple videos. But yeah, the, another really solid dude who can who can sing also because that has to be at this point in time it had to be part of the package. Like, listen, you can play, that's great, but let me hear how you sing because you got a big hole to fill in that harmony section. Well, that's right, and now he's been in the band for thirty years, whereas you know Clark was in the band thirteen, fourteen before he passed away, yeah. and Pete Willis was in the band for a few before. 
he got booted. So he, he and it's really worked out. It's good for a guy like that who kind of went from one gig that's not quite his to another that's not quite his to another that's not quite his, but then gets into a full time band who tours most every year and, and, and earns good money. And he may not get the royalties, the big royalties from back in the day, but he, he certainly almost certainly does in the latter day stuff that they may have put out and seems like a pretty, pretty good guy. And to have a stable lineup is the key to any band. And that has been their lineup now for 30 years. Uh, no changes whatsoever. So know, kudos to them. That's, that's, that's insane to me. Cause you think of, well, that's the classic lineup. No, that's, they've been together like this way longer than they were back in the pyromania days. That's right. And, and they have, they've got some, and, and I'll agree with you. I, I think I have adrenalized, but other than that, no, I haven't really bought anything, but I think they, if I remember correctly, they've had a couple of other decent songs mm -hmm. thrown in there here and again. But I mean, the bulk of the people who go to see the show these days are, they're looking for the hits. That's what they want to hear. And, and I would, I would personally, I'd love to go see them like in Vegas at the uh, hard rock where when they ever do those residencies, that mm -hmm. would be a really cool show to see. Well, I'd go see them again. Yeah. I'd absolutely go see them again. Yeah. Certainly. And, and they do, and they still tour arenas. And like I say, sometimes they'll share the bill. Like I feel like they were doing, it was like a co-tour with Motley Crue or something like that. And yeah. a, a co-headlining tour. Yeah, a co-headlining tour is kind of cool because you don't have to play quite as long and you can really deliver the hits. I saw Kiss and Aerosmith do a co-headlining tour. Like Neither of those two need to co-anything. They're always going to be headliners. But if they want to tour together and take turns opening and closing, try to blow each other off the stage, that's pretty cool. And then you don't have to sit through quite so many, all right, here's one off our new album that no one wants to hear. You know, they just do the hits in an hour and 20 or an hour and 30 minutes instead of the full two whatever hours they have to usually. I think that gives them a little room to breathe too. Like you don't have to like, you, you know, you get there, you play for your two hours and you pack it up and hit the road again. You know, okay, now I get to, you know, I got to play my set. Now I get to listen to Aerosmith. Okay, that's pretty cool or pretty vice cool. versa. So hopefully this year, they say by the fall, things will be different. They're hoping by the summer things will be different. I don't really know. If I have to get a test and carry around some kind of card or note on my phone or get a tattoo that says, I've been vaccinated, let me go see live music, I'll do it because it is at this point been about the longest I've ever been without seeing a concert. If I saw the Colt in November, October, November of 2019, that's what, 15 months now. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm kind of itching and they still haven't really told us anything about some of the shows that I have tickets to this spring, which I'm just convinced will be postponed, but we'll see. Yeah. Cause I mean, you get, you kind of have two hurdles to jump through number one or two to jump over one. You've got to get the thing put back together and then two convince people that they can actually go. Cause you don't want to have this concert with three people standing there. Yeah. I got a feeling that rock fans, hardcore rock fans would be the ones to break COVID protocol to go to a show. Um, Jeez. I, I, I actually thought about it last, you know, like if the Who, because I was supposed to see the Who in April, and I, I was supposed to see Morrissey right before lockdown. Morrissey's show in France three days before got canceled because of COVID. And then he came okay. back here and the show went on. I said, you know, if this was the Who, I would go. I would risk my life one to see the two one more time. But I'm not risking walking across the street to see Morrissey. You got to be out of your mind. So I just ate the ticket. But he did the show uh, to the packed uh, Wembley, not the stadium, but Wembley Arena, which is basically right across the street. And um, when was that? That was like March the 14th, and we went into lockdown oh, on the 16th or something like that. You know, it was, yeah, it was you that were better, close. Yeah, you were better off passing on that thing. Absolutely. That, that's a no-brainer. But if it was the Who, I'd be like. All right, girls, come on. I know it's a little dangerous, and I know we just saw The Who last year, but I don't know. What if one of them catches COVID? Then it's really over. We got to go. So we're, we're all hopeful, but you never know. The live stream stuff is cool, but it's just not the same thing. Okay. It's, not, it's, good, it's good to see the people, but it's, it's not the same as being in the arena. 
Yeah, and I can see doing a live stream once a month or so if there was a really cool one on. But you don't get the ticket souvenir. You don't have the memory of standing next to your woman or to your buddy and singing along. You know, you're not in an arena or in a theater at the event, you know, the, the build up to it. It's just not the same right. uh, as being there live. Yeah, because to me, it's always cool when you get when into the venue and then you kind of see the stage set up and you're like, oh, okay, cool. He, you know, the, then you really get the, the scope of, okay, this is how far away we're going to be. This is what it's going to look like. You know, do, do I see anything cool? I know for Def Leppard, that's a little different because they've got that curtain up. Just to, you kind of get amped up right off the bat with just the, the environment there, and then it goes from there. <laughs> Well, here's hoping live music returns with a bang sometime here in 2021. I know there's a lot of eager rock fans out there who want to see their favorite bands again and want to just put all this behind us. Seems like we've got a little farther to go on this one, though, folks. So let's stick together and let's keep listening to our favorite rock and roll tracks. We appreciate you tuning in this week to talk about Def Leppard's Pyromania on this, the 30th anniversary of the death of Steve Clark this month, and the 38th anniversary uh, of the release of the great Pyromania. Coming up next week, we're going to have a little review of Iron Maiden's Legacy of the Beast live album recorded in Mexico, some of the both picked up from Santa this Christmas. And we're going to have a little bit of review of Steve Hackett's new album, under a Mediterranean Sky, an acoustic album inspired by he and his wife Joe Hackett's travels around the Mediterranean. And the wolf is extremely excited because he's ordered his autographed limited edition CD blue vinyl edition of Under a Mediterranean Sky and can't wait to get his paws on that. Until next time, hey, let us know what we're missing. Let us know what your favorite rock bands and albums are. Maybe we'll give it a review on the wolf. You can check us out at ugly underscore werewolf on Twitter, or check out all of our past episodes at uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Until then, rock and rollers, hey, be cool and stay safe. to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who kill their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.